welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob. I'm not joined by Carl Mascarenas, my usual partner in crime. He is off celebrating his birthday, but we have a special guest with us, Peter Galindo, soccer writer for Sportsnet, host of Northern Football, a podcast that covers Canadian soccer. Peter, thanks for joining the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me back. It's great to be back, and uh, so quickly, too, after the last appearance. Yeah, (laughs) it's funny with all these fixtures piling up, we've had to sort of sub in different people at different points of the season. And it's it's worked out nicely that you've been able to come through a couple times for us. Obviously, love talking the game with you. But let's get to it. Manchester United are into the Europa League final. Lose 3-2 on this night to Roma, but obviously most of the legwork was done with that 6-2 win in the first leg. No real surprises per se uh, in terms of who's going through to the final. Obviously, Arsenal unable to get the result, so Villarreal will be their opponent. But maybe looking at United's starting lineup, considering the postponement of the Liverpool fixture due to the United fans' protest, Manchester United now have three fixtures, three EPL fixtures in the span of five days. And they're no joke. It's Aston Villa, Leicester City, and Liverpool. So, considering the four-goal advantage, I was surprised to see all of Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, and Edinson Cavani start. Any surprise to you? Pretty much the same thoughts. Um, And it's, as you said, you, you figured after the postponement, there would be some rotation just to prepare for those games and everything else. And on top of that, too... Not just because, oh, we've won the first leg so convincingly and therefore we should just rest guys for the second leg. It's also about getting them fresh for the final, too, because there were moments today where I felt for the first time in a while, Bruno Fernandes just seemed to be more with it. He didn't look as tired or exhausted. And that, for me, is even more confusing from the United point of view as to why they would start so many regulars, just because... Frankly, they might become exhausted again by the time that final comes up, and then we're having that discussion of, oh, you know, can this United squad win big games under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? And, you know, just for that reason alone, you'd think he'd want to switch it up. I think when we look at the first half, I thought United were mediocre to average at best for the first 20 or so minutes, and then started to come into their own. I thought Donny van de Beek struggled to find the space in which he could operate best. And then I think he steadily started drifting towards the middle. I think he was out uh, out left for a while. And then as he came more towards the middle, he became a bit more influential. I think with Cavani, his movement was exceptional. You always expect that. The finishing wasn't quite there. A couple of chances. The one where he tried to dink it over the keeper, just going over the crossbar. Uh, that he should have finished. He, he had an fi- uh, opportunity with his right foot where he laced it right at the keeper when it seemed like the far post uh, w- was open. But then as Cavani does, he misses a couple, but he, he might miss once, he might miss twice, but he won't miss a third time. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why whenever people were criticizing him during his PSG days, I, I thought it was just a bit too harsh because at the end of the day, He's a striker who's going to get you 20 to 30 goals in a season. And let's be honest, strikers are not going to finish 100% of the chances that they latch on to. So if he misses one or two, but still scores one or two, 
that's more than salvageable for me. Like, you know, a 50% conversion rate or even 30% conversion rate, you're going to take that. And the amount of times he gets himself into those quality positions is breathtaking, quite frankly. And it's why I, I feel, at least in this generation of strikers, he's probably one of the more underrated ones we've seen in a while. But I think it's just, you know, the, the whole Twitter hot takery of, oh, he misses big chances in big games. Well, he also gets himself in position to score those chances, which I think counts for something. Yeah, I think that's definitely an interesting conversation to be had when you think about the great goal scorers of the past decade. You know, obviously the names that spring to mind are beyond beyond Messi and Ronaldo. You, you think of uh, Harry Kane, you think of Luis Suarez, you think of all those names. But I don't think Edinson Cavani, I mean, there there's stats as well to show that if you look at you know, the past decade uh, across Europe, he's right there in terms of the top goal scorers. So his effectiveness, regardless of what people might say or what the narrative might be, he's been plenty effective. Oh, 100%. And and that's, I, I think, part of the reason why he's maybe not given that credit is where he played, right? He rose to prominence in Italy, did really well there. Um, and then I think when he went to BSG, much like with a lot of players who go there, they almost are underrated because of the fact there aren't as many eyeballs in France. Even though the league is actually quite a quality league, let, let's be completely honest, so many players go there, thrive, and then move on to, to bigger clubs or to better leagues. But I, I think he was just taken for granted. And then he was also playing with Ibrahimovic. We all know what happens when that is the case. But his, just quickly to that yeah. point, his ability to coexist with Zlatan yes. should be noted as well, right? The way yeah. he's been able to fit into different styles of play that shows the the level of quality he has oh exactly and you know that he's at the very least a a team guy like he's not going to be completely selfish to the point where it's going to be detrimental to the team um and that counts for a lot too but i just feel the fact that he went to paris in his prime is what probably hurt him a lot and i think this is also why the likes of you know, Kylian Mbappe, for example, now, I feel like he's only now just kind of getting, you know, that that world-class, those world-class plaudits that he is getting now because he's doing it in the Champions League. But in reality, he's been doing this since his career started. And the same thing can be said with Cavani and and just his performances across multiple seasons. You mentioned uh, him being a good teammate. He definitely had Mason Greenwood's back when Greenwood got into it a little bit <laughs> with the yeah. Roma defenders. Uh, it was nice to see that. Thankfully, he didn't get too hot-headed. The last thing you want is a red card out of a nothing situation, and now yes. you missed the, the final, yeah. <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, exactly. and, and Solskjaer took him off right away for Marcus Rashford. Listen, yeah. there, there wasn't too much to talk about in this game, especially considering how little was at stake after the first leg. But mm-hmm. for a team that gave up three goals, David De Gea might still have been United's best player. I mean, some of the saves he pulled off were just... Vintage. Oh, yeah. Turn back the clock um, to when he was winning team MVPs every season during the kind of darker days, quote unquote, of, of United uh, post-Ferguson. It, it was breathtaking to watch. And it reminds you that for some of the at times deserved criticism he receives, he is still, when you need him to be, he's capable of pulling performances like that out of the hat. That's why I think it's encouraging for United because now they have, at least from Solskjaer's point of view, he now has a 
at least you would assume big decision to make. Is it going to be Henderson or is it going to be De Gea for the final, right? And you have to imagine De Gea probably made his case today uh, just with that one performance in a, in a big match too, even though it wasn't uh, you know a, a tight game scoreline-wise. It's still against a decent team. They had something to prove. They're at home, albeit in front of an empty stadium. And he and he showed up and he kept it pretty respectable, even though they ended up losing. He it could, it could have been a lot worse a lot sooner. So kudos to him for delivering. And you're right, Peter. It could have been tense because Roma get those two goals to take the lead. Mm-hmm. And then they almost get a third right after. De Gea pulls off an amazing save. Then he pulls off another great save to deny Mkhitaryan. Mm-hmm. Say one of those goes in. Roma at that point, they've got three goals pretty much in succession. They're, they, they'll they feel good about themselves. They're at home. They'll apply the pressure. Mm-hmm. If both goes go in, you're talking about a one-goal deficit now. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Roma's capable of And that was at the too. hour mark. Yes, exactly. And, and that's the other thing, right? I mean, and Roma's actually kind of done this a, a few times recently. And you remember Liverpool a few years ago when, when they ended up making the Champions League final and winning. Okay, they lose the first leg pretty convincingly, but then they come back and make a game of it in the second leg, despite being behind by a lot. The, the difference being, Allison didn't make the saves, and that's what <laughs> kind of allowed Liverpool to get back into it. It it was too little, too late for them in the end, and then United kind of woke up. Cavani got the second, and then by that point, you were like, "All right, that's fine. Even if we concede another, we're, we're not really in danger." But it could have been so much worse if that had happened five, ten minutes sooner. I think we can just quickly hand out some awards for this match. We, we've talked about De Gea's performance. For me, uh, a no-brainer, Cantona caller. Uh, yes. Obviously, Edinson Cavani deserves a shout. But with those mm-hmm. couple of chances missed, uh, I have De Gea ahead of him uh, for this one. Yeah, I would have to agree. I, I, and I think this is th- there's probably very little debate to be had as well. It, it's De Gea for me, <laughs> unless you want to be you know, contrarian. But... <laughs> The Beckham boot, I mean, this is always tough, you know, when United get the result that they need. Obviously, they lost the match. I will say I was very disappointed in Alex Tellez's performance. Obviously, he got a short period of time. Brandon Williams wasn't much better either. I mean, on both flanks, they come on as subs, and all of a sudden, that's what kind of allows Roma to break down United as much as they did in the second half. You know, for, for those including myself, who were saying, why wouldn't you give Alex Tellers this opportunity with the game pretty much in the bag? Maybe if he gets the 90 minutes, it becomes that much more tense. And so I don't think he did himself any favors, uh, especially that third goal that Roma scored. You can see how much he sort of gets into a habit of ball watching as opposed to understanding the value of positional defense. And if he's just on his man, there's no problem created there. I mean, it's very basic stuff, especially crosses coming into the back post from Wan-Bissaka's side and then ending up at the back post. Like, he just looked lost at times. And and I was almost baffled as to how easily Roma was just getting chance after chance by just targeting him. So, I mean, completely justified. The noisy neighbor. (laughs) uh, I thought there were a few notable performers for Roma, but I thought Brian Crisante stood out. And especially the goal he scored, uh, that one-time volley into the corner, nothing David De Gea could do about that one. That was a special goal. Yes. Jekyll, you know, you see the way he's able to impact all of their forward play. 
Pedro was pretty good, but but I thought Crisante for me was probably their standout player. Yeah, he he was good uh, for sure. And fun fact, could have played for Canada, by the way. Um, <laughs> the CSA did contact him to to see if he'd be interested. He eventually turned it down and ended up getting capped by Italy. So that was history there. But yeah, he was um, one of the top performers for Roma. I thought I also loved what Lorenzo Pellegrini did. Um, I mean, he's been terrific all season for them. Um, just the way he can pull the strings at times and and really cover a lot of ground too. I mean, he set up three or four very dangerous chances. Um, but but really the, the entire attack for Roma, I thought had pretty solid showings all around. You could almost kind of take your pick and you touched on it there with Jekko and, and obviously Cristante, even though he was maybe playing a bit deeper, but at times getting forward and getting involved there. For me, I, I, I pick Pellegrini, but really it, it's a toss up in, in that regard. Yeah, Pellegrini, I, I think across both legs, he's probably been the most impressive player to me. I thought he was really good in that first leg. Maybe that's why I didn't notice him as much in this one because he had set such a high standard in that first leg. Um, I have to say he's someone that definitely caught my eye over the two legs as well. Moving on from the match, let's look more generally now uh, at, at some topics. Obviously, United play Roma, so I, I, I think... We'd be remiss to not talk about Jose Mourinho landing his next gig with the Italian side. Shock? Complete uh, disbelief? uh, Your reaction when you found the news? I remember, you know, specifically what happened. I was, I had been awake for about an hour and, um, you know, I'm making breakfast for myself. And then I see on my phone the alarm sirens. I think it was a bleacher report notification. And it said that Mourinho had been hired by Roma. And I thought, I, I cannot be reading that right. So I opened it up and then I was checking Twitter frantically and sure enough, it happened. Um, and, and look, we were talking off air how uh, Fabrizio Romano was mentioning that uh, Roma had been interested in Mourinho just before he got hired by Tottenham. Um, so it, at least they've been enamored by him for a year, but the fact they were going through a takeover from Palota to Friedkin um, kind of made you wonder like, you know, is that just you know, talk essentially, or is that just agents kind of trying to filter something through the media, but no, it ended up being legitimate. And I'm, I, for one, am very excited for it just because one could argue that playing for Roma or coaching Roma, whatever capacity you're in is the toughest team to be a part of in Italy, just because of the media pressure and the overall fan pressure. Um, even more than the Milanese clubs, even more than Juventus, just when it comes to the to the local scene. Um, but if there's anyone who can handle that or um, maybe, I suppose, take attention away from his team, it would be Jose Mourinho. So that's why I feel like it's the perfect marriage in a way, but also the most combustible marriage, just because they're both so chaotic and unpredictable. But look, I'm not a Roma fan, so I'm very excited for this. I don't know what Roma fans feel. I feel like they're kind of mixed on it. But it, I mean, in terms of, of playing style, like the squad itself does have a pretty decent balance of those experienced players who Mourinho likes to trust and younger players, but not so raw. Like they're in that 23 to 25 range where like they're just about to hit their prime. Um, like Pellegrini. Exactly. Like Pellegrini, like Cristante, like, you know, uh, most of that defense is also either entering their prime or in their prime. Obviously, you got the uh, United alumni there as well. Um, <laughs> so they'll be, I guess, familiar with them in a way, maybe have PTSD. I don't know. Depends how they felt. So it, it, it's intriguing because 
when you look at how they performed this season, they did underperform in in some ways. If you just look at their expected goals for the season, they did they were quite unlucky when it came to conceding and scoring. Probably the only worry would be Edin Dzeko, um, just because he is 35 and, you know, how much longer could he really go? Uh, maybe Mkhitaryan as well, because he's obviously on the wrong side of 32. But I, I do like the, the makeup of the squad. And there is quality there to get into the Champions League and actually mold the team into one that Mourinho can be very successful with. Whereas I feel like Tottenham was quite... There was a lot of work to be done there, right? And obviously United's a much different story. But with Roma... I mean, I've said this almost every time he's gone to a different job. This could actually work out for him, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I tried to make that case for him with Tottenham. And that's where my doubts primarily come from now. Because I thought with the time that he had taken off and, you know, the way he was speaking, it seemed like he had done some reflection. It seemed like he had recognized that he needed to adapt and change with the times. Obviously, he's made the effort to change the people he works with, right. which is a, an important step. But the patterns were the same at Tottenham. And so that's where my doubts creep in, uh, whether he has truly changed his colors uh, and whether he is a manager for these times. At the end of the day, no matter how his career plays out from here, if it just continues on this same trajectory, he will still go down as one of the greatest managers because yeah. of what he's accomplished already. But these last few years have not been kind to his resume. If he doesn't recognize that and take it seriously as an opportunity to change, I don't know how many more there will be if he fails here at Roma as well. There is an equal chance that it could blow up in his face or also work out. But I also feel like if it goes well, it's because of the fact they don't have... Uh, that many signings to make and, and then also on top of that they they're already they already kind of play in a Mourinho kind of a style in that they sit in a mid block they are known to be quite stingy defensively they are attacking wise they tend to counter a lot as we've seen in these United games so I feel like at least the template is there for him to do something with this but it could go wrong just because the players don't react to him in the right way, which is usually what happens. You know, the, the, the intense pressure and expectations just don't go according to plan. It, it's all those external factors that, that could really go against him. But when you look at the actual playing style and everything else, and the fact they won't have to maybe add too much to the squad, at least right now, he can kind of come in there and put his stamp on it right away, which helps. Now, one player he tried to put a stamp on during his time at United was Paul Pogba. Yes. Uh, that was pretty much the beginning of the end for his tenure at Old Trafford. Pogba, obviously, things looked like they were going completely the other way this season. And the way he's turned things around, the matches that he's won for the club, the way he's performed, the way he's spoken, I think there's at least an honest chance that he could be back with United on maybe a long-term deal. How much does, you know, possibly winning the Europa League, finishing second, maybe getting a couple of big transfers in impact his chances of now being a long-term United player? That comes into play. I also think that the fact there may not be as big of a market for him this summer and possibly even next summer also plays into it too. Because you consider... The two big Spanish clubs are mired in debt. They want to 
or at least try to shed their wage bills. But on top of that too, Real Madrid, one of the teams that could theoretically afford Pogba, they seem to have their sights set on Eduardo Camavinga, the, the young player for Ren. On, on top of that too, they also want to get Kylian Mbappe in as well, which is obviously going to cost a pretty penny. And then on top of that, you look at Juventus, who have been kind of linked to him a few times. They don't have the financial means right now. they got to offload Ronaldo in order to do that. So there really is no primary option right now for him to go to. So by default, that would keep him at United. But the fact he has looked brilliant the last three or four months, and he's doing it in big games, and he also fills a very specific need right now in that he's one of the only midfielders, arguably the only midfielder, who can progress the ball from deep uh, positions, right? Because outside of, I mean, you obviously have Van de Beek and, and Fernandez who can do that, but that's more so obviously closer to the opposition box. So all that put together, I think, points in the direction of Pogba staying and probably for a longer period of time than just the next 12 months that his deal is, is up for. Now, we mentioned the importance of United winning this trophy, getting something in the trophy cabinet for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Let's preview that final a little bit. United up against Villarreal in Poland at Gdansk. Villarreal currently sixth in La Liga, obviously pulled off a big result against Arsenal to get to the final. What are your impressions going into that final? Do you think United start out as big favorites or... Do you see Villarreal as the type of side that can really uh, threaten United here? Here's what confuses me. I feel like they almost cancel each other out in some ways. I would maybe make United the slight favorite just because I think attacking-wise, I, I just think that they have a bit, uh, just a bit more individual quality in general. That is what probably gives them the edge. But when you look at how Villarreal plays under Emery, they they have quite a few tactical similarities to United, specifically when you look at both sides in big games. Villarreal tends to defend in a mid-block because they have three midfielders and the wingers tucking in, that provides a lot more protection, so it just makes it uh, difficult to counter against them, um, which United obviously is very adept at doing. And then when they build from the back, they are lined up in a way that gives you wide outlets in case, you know, an opposition presses you from the center. So you can just progress the ball to the to the flanks and evade that completely, but you still have the the numbers in the middle to kind of be able to combat it so that it's just 1v1s across the pitch. But then the way they attack too, they, they tend to attack vertically and incisively, specifically in countering situations. And I believe, I could be wrong on this, but I believe they've been caught offside more than any other team in La Liga this season. And that's led to them maybe not being as fluid in attack as we thought, because Villarreal were one of those sleeper teams entering the season after the signings they made that could end up getting into the top four and really threatening the status quo that hasn't quite happened. And I think it's partially just for the way that they're set up to attack, uh, which is why I feel it could be a very cagey final, just because you feel like both teams are just so stylistically similar. But if you were to pick a favorite, it probably would be United just because they tend to have more difference makers in the areas where it matters, which is an attack. Peter, you mentioned that it could be a KG affair. How about this? The four previous times that Manchester United have played Villarreal, 25th November, 2008, 
nil nil. Seventeenth uh-huh. September two thousand and eight, nil nil. Twenty second November two thousand and five, nil nil. Fourteenth September two thousand and five. Do you want to take a guess? Uh, five, nil, four. Nil. No, no, nil nil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so four times all in the Champions League. All of them nil-nil. We have yet to see a goal between these two sides. So don't be shocked if it gets uh, gets decided on penalties. Um, no, that being said, to your point about United's attacking quality, one thing that has been a key factor in big games is the availability of both Bruno and Pogba. And so managing the fixtures in the EPL that are coming up are going to be crucial for Ole, because he will want to make sure that both of them are at their best for that final. When Pogba has been unavailable, it's been pretty straightforward for opponents to manmark Bruno, make sure life is as difficult as possible for him as possible, and challenge the likes of a Scott McTominay, a Fred, mm-hmm. a Matic, even Harry Maguire when he's booming the ball forward. And if you're the opposition, you will take that Every single day of the week. Of course. So so that is going to be the challenge for Ole going forward. I do think if United are able to play their best 11 in that final, then they should be favorites and they should be expected to win that match. Obviously, this will be the third La Liga side that United will be facing in the Europa. They, They put away Real Sociedad. They put away Granada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they'll have a chance to put away Villarreal. So quickly, just to finish off, what would be your best United eleven for that final? Mm-hmm. For me, it's a no-brainer that David De Gea is yeah. in net. I know some people will debate, oh, well, this is a cup final. Henderson is the, is the keeper of the future. You've got to do right by him. Well, I will say do right by David De Gea. If this is going to be his last game for the club, and you look at the performances that he's had since they've gone into this timeshare where Henderson plays the league games and he plays the cup fixtures, he's not put a foot wrong. Mm-hmm. He absolutely has earned the right to be in that final. You think about the fact that Ed Woodward messed up a fax to prevent him from going to Real Madrid. The form that he was in all those years for United, he absolutely would have three Champions League titles to his name. He would have been part of that treble, uh, you know, that three consecutive titles with Real. So you absolutely owe it to him to play him in this final. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, Dean Henderson's owed anything or, uh, you know, he doesn't deserve to be there just, you know, performances wise, because he's done all right. Right. And and in some cases he's actually been quite good, Mm -hmm. but De Gea being the experienced head, the one who's played in big matches and the fact that he has actually deserved it based on form, all those reasons, I I agree with you. He should be in there. I mean, if you want to win a trophy and kind of build or rebuild that winning culture at United, you have to put in the players who are going to give you the best chance to do so because that can rub off on guys like Henderson, who in the future will be like, all right, you know, De Gea played in this final. We want it. Like, I'm going to be, you know, pushing him hard next year, provided he sticks around and make sure that I'm the one who's playing in the next final and, and winning us trophies. Like it just has that 
effect on players usually. When you win once, you want to win again and again and again and again. I know it's cliche, but it tends to have a massive impact. So yes, completely agreed. He he has to start for sure. The back four, I think, is straightforward. Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, Victor Lindelof, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I don't know if there's much to debate there. No, no. you got to put your best defenders in, simply put, right? Central striker, I think absolutely it's Edinson Cavani who starts up top. And then behind him, this is where you get into a bit of a debate now because Paul Pogba has been so good on that left side. Yes. So has Marcus Rashford. But if you want Pogba on the left, that means you're playing Marcus on the right, where he hasn't been as effective. Right. Which way do you lean? It really depends, for me, how Solskjaer sees Villarreal um, approaching the game. I think, and this is just based on what I've seen, I think Villarreal will be a little bit happier to cede the initiative to United. And for that reason... I think, and because Villarreal has most of the time superiority in midfield, just based on the numbers that they have in there, you almost have to go with the lineup that gives you, essentially that matches it numerically. So Pogba on the left by, by a smidge. And the only reason I say that is just to give you the opportunity to be able to nick one. Because Pogba, as we've seen many times, national team and club, can hit a diagonal like it's nobody's business. And yes, you need to have a player like Rashford at times to latch on to it. But if you have him maybe helping protect whoever it is in the midfield that starts along with that, and then you have a Cavani and maybe a Greenwood or whoever it is running onto it, that that helps you too. So you can kind of attack it in two ways. Yeah, I think ultimately Solskjaer will go with Pogba on that left side, Rashford on the right. Bruno centrally. Yeah. Every big game we've seen Fred and Scott together, and so I don't expect that to change. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be a target, I think, for for Villarreal for sure. Just Fred in deep areas, as we saw today, right, led to a goal again. Yeah, because he tried to dribble out of trouble for no reason <laughs> <laughs> when when all you had to do was clear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easiest solution. But I think that that's part of, like, you also see those errors when, again, the stakes aren't as high, right? And you know True. you've got this yeah. advantage of where, you know, one goal isn't going to kill you, this type of thing. And so you, you, you play a little bit looser. And, you know, frankly, even when Roma scored that third goal, the reaction of the United players, they told you something, right? The fact that they're sort of like, ho-hum, okay, well, no big deal. <laughs> You know, the only one who seemed to be frustrated was De Gea because you know how goalkeepers are about conceding goals. <laughs> I do, yes. <laughs> I know better than most, yeah. <clears throat> We're weird that way. What, what can I say? <laughs> That's the way it should be. That's, everyone should take just as much pride in conceding as scoring. And hopefully United can take a, a lot of pride in both come the Europa final. That's going to be you know, an important one for Solskjaer to get. Peter, thank you so much for joining me uh, to break down a few different things here. Let us know where we can find your work. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at GalindoPW. Um, you mentioned it there. I got 
a podcast, Northern Football, that covers the Canadian game in pretty much every angle. So if you're into that, give that a listen. Find my work on Sportsnet as well, um, covering everything. I'm probably going to be doing some work ahead of the Europa League final, so maybe I'll do a tactical breakdown of that game, and then you can, we can maybe uh, get more details on that as I as I try to uncover more uh, on how this game could be. Should be, at the very least, intriguing. Whether it'll be entertaining, let's hope that you reverse jinxed it by saying all those nil nils and we get like a <laughs> or three thriller or something. <laughs> yeah, be sure to follow Peter. He's great with all the tactical breakdowns. Uh, just really understands the nuances of the game really, really well. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Makes. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of myself, Carl, and for this episode, Peter, thank you for listening to Red Couch Makes.